Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com before history is written it's played before it's frozen in time it's fought one shift at a time before it's etched in silver it's carved in ice what happens next will last forever the Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, Duke fans. Episode 599, almost at 600. We're going to have that for you like in the next 24 hours. Episode 599 here of the DBR, the Duke Basketball Roundup. I'm Jason Evans. I'm here with Donald Wine. All right. We're going to say it. We've calmed a little bit. <laughs> have have we? Yeah, have right. We? <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's up for debate. I don't know. I'm not fro- frothing at the mouth the way I was when we recorded last night about the court storming. Uh, This is going to be our full recap of the Blue Devils game against Wake Forest. Uh, An outstanding game. I mean, you know, sort of lost in the the furor over the the postgame insanity is that this was a truly, truly outstanding basketball game and one that we have a lot to say about. And don't worry, we're going to say more about the court storming as well. We have more on that. By the way, folks, if you didn't listen to our previous episode that we recorded last night, Donald and I hopped on and for 15 minutes ranted and raved about how angry we are at the treatment that the Blue Devils got from the Wake Forest fans, the Wake Forest administration, Wake Forest security, everything associated with Lawrence Joel Coliseum um, last night uh, or yesterday afternoon, I should say, when when the court was stormed. Donald, I want to, if I can, moratorium on that for the moment. Let's let's do our business and talk about the game. 40 minutes of action and then more on the court swimming. But folks, if you haven't listened to that episode, pause right now. Stop what you're doing. Check your feed. Go back to the DBR bites about the court storming and listen to what we have to say. 
or or you can just combine the two, right? You can listen yeah. to this one since we'll talk about this later. It could be like a nice little addendum. Could flow. Yeah, a exactly. Pre, a, a pre-dendum, I guess. It's before, so pre-dendum. Whatever, Whatever it is. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but let's get to the game, Donald. This is a contest that Wake Forest wins 83 to 79. To call it a back and forth game doesn't even do it justice. I think I read there were 14 ties and 14 lead changes. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. For, again, for a neutral team like if you're a neutral fan wanting to watch this was an extremely good basketball game back and forth between two really good teams and you know before we get into the headlines and stuff very quickly you know everyone who was saying wake four should be on the bubble you know the joe Lenardis of the world like if they didn't watch that game and come away thinking yeah. that wake force was an ncaa tournament team i don't know what else to sell them because that was a very good game by both teams and wake force won in the end yeah i, I mean come on I, there's no way to watch that contest and not think that Wake Forest, the the advanced metrics. Ken Pomeroy tells you they're the 18th best team in the country, number 18. Come on, what what are we debating NCAA tournament bids for a team like that? I mean, this is this is just crazy. The advanced metrics, which are smarter than the eye test in many cases, absolutely prove that Wake Forest is a very very impressive opponent. And this was a really we knew this was gonna be a really difficult game. I, I said before the game in our preview. I said, this is the single game that I think Duke is most likely to lose of all the remaining games on the schedule. All right, let's get to the headlines. You know, interestingly, Donald didn't get a lot of headlines. And this happens sometimes after a loss. But I think the other thing was we got a lot of emails from people who were like, I'm pissed off about the court storming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was there was a lot of people who were like, no headline today. Like their 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 title of their email said, no headline today. Just want to rant. Like. Right. We, we we get it. And we're here for it. Uh DBR podcast at gmail.com if you want if you want to continue to send stuff when when the refs don't uh, uh get out of their got get out of their own way or again fans storm the court. That's what we're here for. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I only have three headlines I want to get to. Uh Anthony Sherry said uh Wake Forest proves to be the hunter, but Duke's demise is self-inflicted, running uh referencing Hunter Salas and uh Duke's turnovers at the at the end of the game that were Quite, quite costly. Chris Immershine gave us Wake players and fans charge over Duke toward NCAA bid. Woo! Uh, accurate. Chris, that's all I can say. That is very accurate. Yep. And the K-Man, David Kerman, not a headline, but I thought I hadn't thought of this. Really, really interesting observation from the K-Man. He said, you know, he was having visions of the Notre Dame football game. Notre Dame football game. You remember that, Donald? Where it I, mentioned it on, I mentioned on the episode yesterday. Um, how we, we, we're looking at this game and we should be saying, Hey, that was actually, you know, we had a really good game. We just fell short. It's a good loss against a good team. And we're talking about instead a player being hurt, a star player being hurt at that. And that is exactly what the K-Man pointed out that, you know, you lose a great game to a good opponent and you also lose your best player to injury and it turns the entire season around. I don't believe that is the case regarding Duke. I've now heard from multiple people who are familiar with how Kyle Filipowski was doing after the game. And it looks like this is not going to be a lasting injury, which is very, very good news. As you mentioned on, on our thing, when we were talking about the court storming, Donald, he was walking around, he was upright and, and apparently fully mobile uh, in post-game interviews and the such. So it appears that, that, you know, the, the fan running into his knee did not cause any lasting damage. It probably was just like more of the shock of the moment that caused him to 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 fall to almost fall to the ground. But anyway, bottom line is, you know, that's what we got for headlines. Not a lot of stuff there. Let's Donald, let's get right to the good. And I'm going to begin with Kyle Filipowski. Mm -hmm. 
17 points, eight rebounds, five assists, 10, five and five game there. Led the team in all three of those major categories. When you lead your team in scoring rebounds and assists, not bad, man. Not bad. Um, his three-pointer that he hit, which was Duke's final, I think, yeah, that was Duke's final points. Yeah. That gave him exactly a thousand points on his career. Not even two years in. That's that's amazing. It's not difficult to do. I think it's only been done. I want to say it's eight times in modern Duke history. I believe that's the case. So he's the he, he's the 69th Blue Devil to reach the milestone of a thousand points. I believe he's the eighth player to do it in just his first two seasons. Right, exactly. Uh, which is just really amazing. Um, look, he was just one of six on three pointers, and and Duke seems better. I think when he's taking more twos and fewer threes. I'm not saying he should stop taking threes. But I think Duke's better when he's like around three or four three-pointers in a game and where he's taking, you know, eight to ten two-pointers in a game. In this game, he only took seven twos and six threes. I'd, I'd like that balance to be tilted a little bit more toward the two-pointers. But look, again, he played an outstanding game. He played almost 38 minutes. Didn't really get in foul trouble while battling against um, uh, one of the bigger front lines that he's going to see all season in Wake Forest, a very – a couple very physical, well, if you include Matthew Marsh, three very physical guys. I thought Flip finished fairly well through traffic. Um, I, just overall, a very, very effective game from him. I I liked his approach on the end tide, right? And even the, the outside shots, as you mentioned, he missed five of them, but they were open shots. They were taken for the most part within the flow of the offense of what he gave. I think there's maybe one or two shots in there that I was probably, that I would have considered ill-advised. Really inside, I thought he was masterful at not just establishing himself in the paint, but also working in his teammates. He found a lot of guys on the perimeter for shots. He found a lot of, you know, a few of uh, Tyrese Proctor's threes were as a result of. of yeah, five uh, assists from around. your big man is a really big number. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And it is, it's like, it, it's, I'm not comparing him to Nikola Jokic, but it's that type of uh, awareness on the court, right? Being able to understand that, hey, I know I'm two feet from the basket, but this guy 20 feet from the basket may have a better shot than me and finding him and putting it in a position where that person, all he has to do is catch and shoot. I think that's the the thing about Kyle Filipowski that we need the most is not necessarily for him to be passing the ball. I want him to go for his, I want him to get his 17, 18, 20 points. But at the end of the day, I think him being on the inside makes him more of a triple threat so far this season than he is when he's out in the perimeter, which is funny because last year, if you remember, he would start on the perimeter quite a bit and use his use his bully ball tactics, kind of move his way into the paint, into a position where he would be able to score. But that didn't allow him to pass the ball. Now he's in a position where he's learned, hey, I can be in a position to score, but I can also be in a position to pass it to somebody who may have a better shot than me that's further out. Threes are better than twos uh, in a lot of instances. But for him, the best shot, is not always when the ball is in his hands. And I think he's learned that this year. This is where we need to start applying it. And yesterday I thought he was very effective at that. And again, on the glass, you know, we, we talked about how well he's been uh, at several points in the glass, but grabbing eight rebounds is, was, was especially crucial because a lot of them, again, we got a couple of second chancers and he was able to also just establish a force on defense that inside the paint, the paint was his. Yeah, I, you, look, you're you're causing me to segue into something I had a little bit lower down, but I, you mentioned his eight rebounds. It's worth noting that this was not a game with a lot of rebounds to be had because both teams were shooting so well. Duke ended up winning the rebounding battle in this game 28-20. to 20. 
That's a that's a big number to win it by eight in a game where they're only they're less than 50 rebounds total. That's a really big number. And flip was a huge part of that. By the way, Donald, we talked about it out Duke out rebounding their opponent for the first time all year. Mm-hmm. Duke out rebounded their opponent and lost the game. We're now 16 to one in games where we win the rebounding battle. Um, but it was still hugely important, for, I think, for us to win the rebounding battle in this game. You know, Wake only had four offensive rebounds in this game, and two of them were balls that ended up going out of bounds. You know, they were not live ball yeah. rebounds that, you know, you can easily turn around and make a pick, uh, put back or, you know, relocate the ball to someone on the perimeter, you know, with scrambling defense. I, I, I just thought Duke did a really, really nice job. Again, Wake is a really big team with a lot of guys. You know, Cameron Hildreth gets in there and rebounds a lot, and they've got the two big – Duke did a really great job on the boards, and it's a pity it wasn't rewarded with a victory. Also, one of those, at least one of those offensive rebounds that you mentioned went out of bounds, actually went out of bounds on off a wake player. They yes. didn't review it. And then on the ensuing inbound, they get a three-pointer. And that was very late in the game, and that kind of changed the trajectory of, of how that game ended up. And again, I'm not, again, putting it on the rest of that point. That was a missed call. They happen in these games. But, yeah, it was. it shows how effective we were that even their offensive rebounds, two of them were ones that, like, we still went for it, and it bounced off of us, or they called it, at least called it off of us. That is what we call, you know, the effort that you were talking about. The, it was reflected in that. And, Jason, I also want to say, you know, in basketball, as you know, there's a nice rule for shooting. If you're a really good shooter or as as a team, it's called 50-40-90, right? 50% from the floor, 40% from three, 90% from the line. Well, yesterday we were 53% from the floor, 44% from three, and 80% from the line. 50-40-80 is still really good. You know, and, and again, we've had our shooting woes from the line, but, you know, 16 for 20, you know, 80%, you, you can't ask for much more than that. Of course, we want to make all our free throws, but... Shooting 80% from the line is something that Wake Forest does. We actually outshot Wake at the line. So that's really good. The, the, the fact is this game wasn't lost because we had a bad shooting night. We may have missed some shots, but with, throughout the course of the game, we were shooting very well. And I think that's what led to how uh, the excitement of this being such a back-and-forth game because as Wake was getting hot, we would get hot. There was very few stretches where one team would take a huge lead and the other team would catch up. It was just, I think the biggest lead on either side was what, five or six points. Yeah. So this was a back and forth game and it was because we were shooting. well. Yeah. Uh, look, a moment ago, we were talking about the bigs. I want to sort of wrap up, uh, continue to talk about the bigs. We've mentioned, I've mentioned several times, Carr and Reed, you know, Wake has two outstanding big men. And I thought Duke really effectively countered a lot in this game with Ryan Young alongside Kyle Filipowski. We saw Young and Flip playing together more than they usually do. And look, I know Ryan Young did not fill up the box score. Three points, three rebounds, you know, 11 minutes. But I thought he really impacted the game. And I thought his presence on the floor was was a positive for Duke. So then I go to look at the box score at the end of the game to sort of, you know, see if my observations of Duke's play while Ryan Young was in the game are backed up. And wait until you hear this number, man. Duke's plus minus in Ryan Young's 11 minutes. Duke was plus 18. Mm -hmm. That is outrageous. That is just a huge number. It shows you what a difference Ryan Young made in this contest. And again, not a guy who's going to fill up the box score. Not a guy who, you know, you're going to, oh, he had a double-double or something like that. Three points, three rebounds. You're like, yeah, yeah, so what? I'm telling you, he was making a difference. Playing really great help defense. 
setting some very, very effective screens, just impacting the game in ways that don't show up in the box score on both ends of the floor. That's what you want from a guy like Ryan Young. And I thought it was, uh, I actually think 3.3 rebounds. I actually think this is one of his best games of the year. We talk about, you know, plus minus and how it's not always an indicator of how the game goes or how it's how a player affected the game, right? Sometimes they're very skewed. And sometimes you're like, oh, this guy was on the floor and had 34 points and a minus two, you know, plus minus. Clear that he was affecting the game more than minus two points. In this case, the one time where we kind of look at the plus minus and go, oh, snap, is when it's a really close back and forth game and someone has a very skewed number, right? On this side, Ryan Young plus 18 in a four-point game yeah that didn't circulate more than six points either way like that's a huge number that shows how again like you mentioned this this the one time where i kind of look at it and go hey the stats don't reflect how this person played because like you said when he was on the court we were able to do so many more things with the basketball on offense and then on defense the same way we were able to kind of shift some of our uh, responsibilities around and make it where another guy, tr- you know, had to try and beat us, right? Like Hunter Salas was going off and and we kind of expected him to do that. He's one of the better players in the ACC, but you have to make it where you, there was times where he was effective. He met, you know, a lot of the guys around him had to feed off, you know, other players like Hunter Salas had to try and pass off, but also he was forcing late shots, right? Late shots that are late in the shot clock, one rebound and he would grab it or someone else would grab him because he was boxing out his man so that that guy couldn't get it. So the ball was free for Jeremy Kane or, or, you know, or, or flip to kind of go grab it and, and go. I think that's the quality of Ryan young. He doesn't need 17 points a game. He doesn't need 10 rebounds a game. He just wants to be on the floor for someone else to get 17 points and 10 rebounds and help. Yeah. With that. I think that's the cool thing is, uh, you know, people have talked about, we've talked about roles on this team, Ryan young, has a different role this year than he does than he did last year. And he's filling it just as well this year at many, many stretches than, as he has last year. So I, I'm really happy with the effort. Yeah. So I want to go from, uh, I was talking about, you know, big man. I, I want to move on to the guards and I'm going to start with Tyrese Proctor, who I think had an, an, an a really outstanding week. Tyrese in this game uh, was more aggressive hunting his shot. Uh, he did the same thing against Miami, and I really love to see that from him. We we haven't seen a lot of that from him this season, and the, but the past two games, it's like since he came back from that sort of concussion, it's like it, like hitting his head on the floor last weekend, you know, or uh, you know, last two Mondays ago against Wake Forest, uh, may have knocked him out a little bit, but it also woke him up because um, he's taking more shots. He had ten field goal attempts in this game, second most in the team, hit four of eight from three pointer. Yes. Yes, I will take that. Uh, look, I want to see his assist numbers get a little bit better, but I, I think that you know part of that was Wake is so good at preventing assists. We talked about how Wake is one of these teams that does an outstanding job at at preventing assists, and I also think that Tyrese started Tyrese Proctor started several of your so called hockey assists where he made the pass that led to the pass that led to the pass that led to the shot, yep. and and I can live with that uh, in this game. But I just thought Proctor, I love seeing him with double digit field goal attempts. I think that's a good thing for Duke. And then I also wanted to briefly mention Jeremy Roach absolutely had moments of this game, little stretches where it felt like he was taking over the contest. Um, shoot six of eight from the field, super efficient. You know, his foul trouble limited him to only 28 minutes. That's a real pity. If if Roach plays his typical 35 plus Duke's a better team when Jeremy Roach is on the floor. 
And, and I think that maybe that might have been the difference in this contest. On Tyrus Proctor, you mentioned that he had a couple of hockey assists that led to points. One of them, Jason, was a hockey assist that ended with him scoring the points. It was a hockey assist where he kind of got the ball. He passed it to one guy. I think he passed who passed it to Flip. Right. Was driving lane, flip passed it back out to him and hit the three. And like as soon as he shot it, like I went, I was watching with my best friend and it Godson. And I just reached over and just like we just high five. Because I was like, that was a great, great team play uh, that started with Tyrese Proctor. It ended with Tyrese Proctor. You don't see that. Uh, very often, but also you know, you mentioned Jeremy Roach. I also want to mention Jeremy Kane. Jeremy Kane, three for four from three, 15 points, five rebounds. It's almost becoming where we go, oh, he only had 15 points and five rebounds. It was a very slow game for him, but no, he was very effective uh, in all assets, uh, facets of the game, especially on offense. He was able to uh, really, really assert himself. I think the one thing, Jason, the 14 points that Tyrese Proctor had led to the fact that the bench points, right? He had 14 points. Ryan Young, I believe, had three. We out re, or the bench outscored Wake 17 to three. And I believe it was pretty skewed the other way last time we played them because Tyrese Proctor, I think, was in the starting lineup and he eventually got hurt. Uh, and Caleb Foster wasn't as effective off the bench as Tyrese Proctor was in this game. So shout out to 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 those two, especially. But I think the guards, I again contributed to what was an exciting game, but the guards shooting and hitting their threes at very, very opportune moments kept this game close and kept us with a chance to win until the end. Yeah. And Duke had an outstanding shooting game. I mean, there's, you mentioned, you know, the, the 60, 40, 90, that, that they, uh, the 50, 40, 90, I should say that they came or six, sorry, I'm going to get it right. 50, 60, 40, 40 90. 90. Yeah. They 50, came. No, you're right. 50, 40, 90. That's the 50, that's 40, 90. Right. Yep. The reason I'm saying 60 is that Wake had a 60, 40, 90. Wake yes. actually had a, yeah. a 60, 50, um, 60% on their threes, 50% on their twos. And, and Donald, I think we have to transition unless you got something else in the good. I'm, I'm ready to transition to the bad. Um, no, we could talk about it. I mean, I, I'll just say very quickly, second chance points. We outscored them 13 to five. Uh, we had the fast break uh, three from Jeremy McCain. There was not a lot of fast break opportunities in this game. And if you, I think credit to the defense, because yes, in the game that was kind of, it wasn't truly like very high scoring, but in a game that there were a lot of fast break moments, I thought our fast break defense was incredible in, in limiting them uh, to missed shots or even turnovers. Um, you know, we were able to force some steals off of some of these fast break opportunities that Wake Forest had. And again, the, the defense, there, there's a lot that they did right. And there's some things that they did bad, but I think at the end, the fast break, we we limited their opportunities, and that's what kept us a close game. All right, so let's get to the bad. Um, I just want to quickly mention one thing. You you had Jared McCain in the good. I wanted to mention in the bad that he only got seven shots. That's his mm -hmm. lowest number of field goal attempts since the Arkansas game. Remember when we played Arkansas like a year and a half ago? <laughs> yep. He it was literally had, last year, Jason. Yeah, right. He has had nine-plus shot attempts in every game that Duke has played since the game, since the pit loss in January, mid-January, more than a month ago, uh, Jared McCain's just got to get more than seven shots in a contest. I mean, he, he was super effective, as you noted, hitting his threes, you know, able to get in the lane and create stuff. We got to find a way to make sure we get him more than seven shots. But okay, so that was the beginning of my bad. That's And that's a pretty minor bad thing to to mention. I think, Donald, we, we have to start with the end of half and end of game execution. Duke has 11 turnovers in this game, which is... You know, not great, but not awful. But the timing of these turnovers was so terrible. At the end of the game, Roach rumbles the ball away. Tyrese Proctor essentially tosses it out of bounds on two possessions where 
Duke had chances to tie or take the lead or, you know, what two possessions where you had to have a shot. And Duke, Duke doesn't even get the ball inside the three-point line. Like, literally, just as you cross over half court, you fumble the ball away or you toss it out of bounds. So, uh, such heartbreaking in a game where the offensive execution was outstanding for both teams throughout the entire contest. Duke quite literally had two of its worst offensive possessions, probably its two worst offensive possessions of the entire game in the final minute. Uh, it was even worse than that. It was the last four or five possessions. We didn't. We got one shot off, and it was uh, the uh, really quick three by Tyrese Proctor. Jeremy Roach, again, all these are uncharacteristic. And even after the game, uh, I'll get to Roach's comments in the second half of the game, but Roach comes down, he, he gets the ball taken from him. They go down, they lay it up. He comes back down, tries to force uh, force it into the paint. He gets stripped, out of bounds, turnover. The next possession down, Tyrese Proctor shoots the three uh, that's ill-advised. Wake misses a free throw at the other end, and we still have the ball. We have a chance to tie it with a three, I want to say. And Tyrese no, no, Proctor... No, 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 no. It was a two-point game. A three oh, would have won it, and a two yes. would have tied it. Yeah. It was a two would have tied it. A three would have won the game. He, he's trying to find uh, Filipowski on the wing. Uh, in transition and he throws it behind him. It throws it and throws it behind him and it bounces off Philip Pascal out of bounds. Those are your last five, your last five possessions there. So it, it was uncharacteristic of this team and Jeremy Roach after the game, he faced the media and he just said, quote, I think we just made too many careless mistakes, scouting report mistakes, knowing your personnel mistakes, leaving wide open shooters, jumping off people who don't shoot the ball, just careless mistakes. And I put it on myself as well. And that that leads me to the most part of of my bad is Wake Forest was hitting some very tough shots throughout the game. And and again, they Andrew were very Carr, hot. Man, Andrew Carr hit some shots. He, I was just like, wow. I, and they were taking the that man. Guy, you ain't gonna keep hitting that. Wow. There was some, there were some guys that were hitting some ridiculous three point shots, like runners, uh, like running, falling away from the basket, one arm. You know, like uh, what Patrick you say, step back, one legged. Like, what kind of shot is that type of stuff? They they. They weren't working on those shots, but they were going in. And so those get frustrating at a time. But there were times late in the game where you go, okay, we know who's supposed to have the ball in their hands. We know who's going to be dangerous in certain spots. We've seen it happen so far in this game. Let's hone in on them. And there's a lot of, like, as Roach said, kind of leaving guys wide open who shouldn't be wide open. They were knocking down three. Hunter Salas. Oh, my God. Hunter Salas. Like, like Cameron Hildreth, like, you know, getting in the paint. Andrew Carr, as you mentioned, like, getting into spots where even though he was making tough shots, he, those are shots that he makes like those little, again, details that wake Forest at the end executed much better than we do. And this is not, this is, this is on everybody, right? This is on, on the players is on the coaches execution down the stretch just wasn't where it needed to be and where it has been, frankly, the last three weeks. Like I thought we, you know, end of half, end of, end of uh, game execution that we've had the last three weeks. I thought it's been very good. It just wasn't yesterday. And at the end of the first half, you have the uh, Jalen Blake's air ball. Um, and then, oh my gosh. A, and then a charge call or whatever to end the half. Like there again, I think. No, no, no. Hold, hold, on, hold on. Let, let me discuss what So the end of the half was again, Jalen Blake's air balling a three. Mm -hmm. Duke then got a possession back with, um, we, they could run the, the clock pretty much out like we got it right with 31 and a half seconds or so 31 it was 30.5 seconds and it was a 30 second shot clock and you're you're talking about the Cal Filipowski like three-pointer uh, yeah. yeah air ball three-pointer 
just really bad, wrong time to take it, five seconds left. And as a result, Wake gets to come the other direction. They're scrambling, and Blake's makes a foul that gives them two two free throws, a two really bad throws. foul. Look, Jalen Blake's is a smart player. He knows what he does effectively. He knows what not to do. To have him in a game like this take that really bad three-pointer and 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 then commit that foul at the end of the half, it meant that rather than it being, I don't know, like a four or a six-point lead or more than that for Duke, it was just a two-point game. And and that, you know, that there's just a big difference in a multi-possession game versus a single possession game. And by the way, Duke has now led 20 games at halftime this season. And Duke is 19 and one in those games. For the first time all year, Duke had a halftime lead that they gave up to Wake Forest. But that halftime lead should have been bigger. And that foul that Jalen Blake's had, I was frustrated about it because it's again uncharacteristic. A mistake but it's also it was also Wait, a hustle mistake. you were frustrated did you see john shire well no no oh, wow like, not happy all that forget all that like the point is that was a hustle mistake usually you're not frustrated at hustle mistakes it was the timing of the hustle mistake like he reached out to try and tip the ball away and would have ended when he like if he had looked up at the scoreboard that foul came with what 0.2 seconds left like if he hadn't if he hadn't even touched it right if he had just let it go they wouldn't have gotten a shot off, but because he didn't look at the time, he went for the hustle play, which I, I you know, 99.9% of the time, I'm like, yo, that's cool. Go for the hustle play. He just missed. He, he got a finger on it, but he just missed it and got his hand on the defender or on the, uh, on the uh, player and was able, was called for a foul. So again, it's a game of inches sometimes in basketball. And there was none more apparent than this game. If he is an inch too, if he's a half second too slow, it's halftime and it doesn't matter. If he's a half second too fast, he gets the ball and he's going the other way with maybe with a time to throw up a prayer as the thing. But he was right on time to get a foul. And so that's where it's most frustrating. Yeah. It's those little details that are the difference between us talking about a win today and, and, and now we're talking about a loss and everything that happened after. All right. Uh uh, I got two other things I really, really quickly want to mention in the bad. Um, we've already talked a bit about Wake's shooting. I just want to give people the numbers. They hit 64.5% of their two-point shots and 53% of their threes. Uh, again, 64.5% of your two-point shots, 53% of your three-pointers. Like, how was Duke even in this game? <laughs> we should We should be thrilled that it was as close and tight a game as it was considering how hot Wake was. Um, on the offensive end of the floor, especially in that second half. And then I got to get to this. Okay, earlier I mentioned Ryan Young had the plus 18 in his 11 minutes, which is just super impressive. There's someone else on Duke whose plus minus just sticks out like a sore thumb. Mark Mitchell. Mark Mitchell's plus minus was negative 20 in a four-point game where like, no one else, yeah. You know, other than other than the the huge plus number for Ryan Young, everyone else is like, you know, within a plus minus of like plus six to minus six or so. And then Mark Mitchell's at negative twenty. I, I thought he was mostly ineffective at, at stopping Andrew Carr or anyone else on D. Like I didn't feel him on defense the way I usually do. And Mark's been a major factor on offense for Duke this year. Not in this game. Just six points. He only has four rebounds. By the way, one of those rebounds was like a, a meaningless free throw rebound miss where there was no competition for it. 
Like Mark wasn't as good as Duke did on the boards. They were not doing good on the boards because of Mark Mitchell. Um, and you talk about Duke hit most of their free throws. You know who missed the free throws? Mark Mitchell. He was just two of five at the free throw line. He accounted for three of Duke's four free throw misses. I don't expect anybody to be perfect at the free throw line. That's unrealistic. Duke on this game mostly shot well from from three. I mean, from the free throw line. Uh, you know, they're, they're going to be foolish takes out there. People who are going to say, if Mark Mitchell doesn't miss those free throws, three free throws and Duke wins this game. You know, that's just dumb. Everyone's going to miss free throws now and then, but we got to, got to be honest about things. Mark Mitchell had an ineffective game at both ends of the floor. And even when he got to the free throw line, he wasn't effective. That's just the truth. And negative 20, again, just jumps out at you off the page. Part of that's on Mark's teammates. Cause he wasn't the only one out there, but man, for, for one guy to be on the floor and for the team to get outscored by 20 points in a close game like this, it, it sort of says something about his performance. And it negated, as you mentioned, Ryan Young's, because if you think about it, if you think about them as one position, it ended up being a, a, a total yeah. combined effort of minus two. So, it, yeah, it, as as effective as Ryan Young was at all the things you just mentioned, Mark Mitchell was not yesterday. And, and that's unfortunate because he's had such a good, you know, few weeks uh, on both offense and defense. Like, as you know, a couple weeks ago, he was the MVP for, uh, for multiple games in a row, uh, according to Kim Palm. So it's not, uh, yeah, this is not ragging on him. This is, Hey, it was a good, it was a bad game at, at, you know, the wrong time. Um, and that happens. I will say Jason, a couple of things that left that I, I had was one, you mentioned that wake in the preview that wake force does not like, uh, allow teams to pass on you and, and get a lot of assists. Well, that, that was evident yesterday. We had 12 assists and 26 made baskets. That's a little low for us, um, especially considering that we had almost 20 assists um, the game before against that. Miami, against Miami, yeah. Uh, where we were passing the ball on every possession. And the other thing was it, we kind of regressed a little bit inside the paint. There was a lot of times where we didn't go strong to the basket. And I will note that Wake Forest did not register a block against us. But a lot of it was because we were doing a lot of those fadeaways inside of five feet instead of going up towards the basket. And yeah, as I mentioned, sometimes you're going to go to the basket, and you're going to get your your, your stuff uh, sent to the other other route. That's fine. Uh, don't do it every play, but go to strong. You're either going to make the basket, you're going to get the foul, or you're going to get blocked. This time around, we kind of didn't force their hand because we were shooting fadeaways. And a lot of those fadeaways were the ones that kind of hit the back rim and, and came back out. Uh, so I, I'm I'm looking for those guys to go a little bit stronger to the rim again. Something that we had been doing much better lately, and just kind of regress a little bit against Wake Forest. That's not the difference between us winning and losing, but those little details all add up. All these details that we talk about are little thing, little nitpicky things that when you put them together, it's the difference between a four point win as you as you mentioned or four point loss that we're talking about today. Well, and, and you're talking a little bit about. You know, guys taking it up strong and, and you know, are, are you getting to the free throw line as a result? Uh, Duke, Duke committed 20 personal fouls in this game. Wake Forest only committed 12. Efton mm -hmm. uh, Reed, he ends the game with four personal fouls, but he mostly stayed out of foul trouble. He was able to play 33 minutes in this contest. And, and you're right. I think that what we mostly saw on the inside was Duke fading away from Reed as opposed to going up and challenging him. Look, he is a he is a load. He's 240 plus pounds. You know, I'm I'm not surprised that the Duke doesn't really want to go up into his body all that much because because dude is big. But uh, but yeah, I, I thought we could have done a, a better job of that. Hey, Donald, I'll tell you what. You know, we're gonna take a quick break. On the other side of the break, we're gonna do our player of the game. We're gonna do our player of the week. And court storming.
We are going to talk more about the huge controversy blowing up all over college basketball as a result of the end of this Duke-Wake game and what happened after the buzzer sounded. This episode of the Duke Basketball Roundup is sponsored by BetterHelp. Wow, the year feels like it's flown by. As we enter the summer, it is the time to take note of the wins that life has brought you. And it's a good time to make adjustments for the rest of 2024. Talking to someone about those wins and improvements can help you recalibrate and give you something to focus on for the remaining months of the year. That's right, Donald. That's where BetterHelp can provide the alley-oop. Getting advice from a therapist can help you keep the focus on the good things in life and learn how to handle the hard better. It's online, it's flexible, and you get to fit it within your schedule. You just fill out a questionnaire and you get matched to a professional that can serve as your guide and you can switch anytime you wish. So if you need help setting those goals to carry you through 2024, try BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DukeBB, that's D-U-K-E-B-B, today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash DukeBB. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Back from the break, Donald, we've got to do our play of the game. I actually have two interesting nominees, but I'll let you go first, because maybe you'll take one of mine, and then I'll be able to do the other. Well, I hope it's Jeremy Kane hitting the fast break three in the second half. It was the only fast break points that we had all game, but when he hit it, that felt like a moment where, you know, I think we we went up five or six at that point. He, you know, there were some fans in the front row uh, on, like, the non-TV side, that were kind of chirping at some of those players, especially Jeremy Kane, every time we came down the floor. And when he hit that three, he kind of turned around and just like, you know, threw up the three sign and to everybody in the arena was basically like, Hey, sorry, 
better call a timeout and get get your stuff together because it's my time now. I, I thought that was a at that time I thought it was a pivotal moment. And when he hit it, I I was excited because I was like, oh, if Jeremy Kane's gonna be hitting these, where they immediately again the ball. I don't think it hit the ground before before Steve Forbes motion for a timeout. That's how like pivotal play it was at the time. Um, but that was my play of the game. Yeah, that that came with about eleven forty left in the in the second half. That's one of my two choices. I'll give you the other one in a second. Duke was up one at the time, so the McCain three put them up four. And four. by the way, okay. that that three started at the other end of the floor. He was guarding Hunter Salas. Salas went in the lane, and McCain blocked his shot. And Ryan Young got the rebound and fed Jared, who was racing the other direction, and got that that uh you know that running three uh, on the fast break. Amazing, amazing play. My other nominee was another. Jared McCain play that begins with him on defense with about 1340 left in the second half and Duke down three uh, McCain got a steal on Cameron Hill Cameron Hill was sort of on a fast break and Jared McCain gets the steal um, and it led to a fast break the other direction where Tyrese Proctor ended up getting a three-pointer to tie the game at 53 I thought it was that a was Travis another... Alvarado type of steal too like where he came up from kind of snuck around from yeah behind exactly him. yeah mm-hmm. I love the Alvarado. Yeah, Georgia Tech. That that dude will be there forever. Uh, yeah. Uh, so those are my two nominees for for play of the game. They were both, and they both start with Jared McCain playing really good D. We have seen he's been a difference maker at both ends of the floor lately. Man, heck of a player. All right. With that, to get to player of the week, who you got? I got Kyle Filipowski, 32 points, 14 rebounds, nine assists, and three blocks on the week. And again, I, he was the Kim Palm MVP against Miami, and I think he was one of the better players for us against Wake yesterday. Um, but there, I, I think this is a week where you had a couple of you know guys that you could probably consider for player of the week, but I think mine's Kyle Filipowski. And I completely agree with you. I also had Kyle Filipowski. I was going to cite those same numbers you did. I was going to add one more number to them. In addition to having nine assists, he only had two turnovers on the week. Mm-hmm. Nice assist to turnover ratio. And one more number on two-point shots in the lane. Kyle was eight for 11 this week. Now I'd love to see that 11 be more like a 15. (laughs) Take more two point shots, Kyle. When you get the ball down in the post, baby, you know, post up a little bit more, but I thought he was outstanding. Like you said, this is a week where he had, we had a a ton of guys in double digits. We had really balanced scoring in both of the games, but, but Kyle had a little something extra that, that gives him uh, the player of the week. All right, let's get back to the court storming. I wanted to really quickly note, a little bit of stuff from the post-game press conferences, and then I'll let you get in. But so, you know, John Shire, I thought it was very interesting. He said, you know, at the very end of the game, he said he was hoping that, you know, there's a four-point game. He was hoping that maybe that, you know, Duke could catch the ball, get fouled while attempting a three-pointer, you know, get to the free throw line. Things can mm-hmm. happen if if that if if that kind of situation happens. And he says that's why he left his guys on the floor when they were down four with less than two seconds left. Uh, I I think most of us would say, you know, at that moment, Wake is 99 plus percent to win. But I don't, I I agree with John Shire, you know, keep your guys out there. Something crazy could happen. If a guy gets fouled, then things become very, very different. And, And so I understand why Shire kept his players out there. But Shire said, after he noted that he was, he had them out there because he was hoping for, for a little four point miracle. He said, you know, maybe I let my, I think I let my guys down by not taking them off the court. Donald, that's outrageous. I, I can't agree. believe that, that John Shire feels like he needs to blame himself for not evacuating his team from the floor at the end of a close competitive game. 
it's just wrong that John Shire should even have to say something like that. And it shows you how poorly Wake Forest did at controlling this situation. And it's worth noting, the only reason John Shire said he could have taken his players off the floor was because there was a timeout called with 1.8 seconds left. Wake Forest security had a timeout to know what was going to happen. As I said, everyone knew at that point Wake was going to win the game. They could see the students surging. And the Wake Forest security, I'm Duke needs to file a lawsuit. Wake needs to pay for what they did. Look, I'm just going to say this very plainly. This is not Shire's fault, period. I know that he said the right things in the press conference that said, you know, he, he's a coach. His job is to try and deflect some of the attention away from his players and from the incident and try to at least absorb some of the responsibility. I have no problem with him saying that. That doesn't mean it's true, right? It, it, just because he said that he should have taken his players off doesn't mean it's true. He should not have taken the players off. Let's put it this way. Fans ran out on the court with times still remaining on the clock. As you mentioned, there was 1.8 seconds left. They called a timeout, and he felt some responsibility, but he shouldn't. We're down four. We had the ball, and like you yeah. said, a remote chance to tie, but we still had a chance, as they say. You're saying there's a chance? Yes, there's a chance. Stranger things have happened at the Circle K, all right? And no one – this is the this is the thing that I think is most important, everyone to understand. No one in our team is expendable. I'm not about telling coaches yeah. to pull starters – and put in bench formers in harm's way. There should not have been a harm's way. That's the point. The point Amen. was there was a harm's way that that occurred, and it did not matter who was on the floor. And look, we as Duke fans have excoriated UNC for when they just remove everybody from the court with 11 seconds left, and they like take everybody off the floor, they call a timeout, and they do some ceremonious like walking to the locker room where there's nobody on the floor, and they just run the 12, 10 seconds out. I'm not about that. This is the we cannot have players in harm's way. That is the point of this. Nobody that is on the floor deserves any blame for what happened on the floor because they were supposed to be there. The fans were not. And that is of a lot of things I need to say. I need to make it clear. This is not Shire's fault. Yeah. So I said I wanted to talk about the postgame press conferences. I've talked about John Shire. I want to talk about Steve Forbes. Steve Forbes started his press conference. The very first thing he says. He starts talking about how loud, energetic, and enthusiastic the Wake Forest crowd was in this game. He says the best atmosphere since he's been there. I believe someone said it was the first sellout at Wake Forest in like a decade. In seven years. Since yeah. since okay. Luke Kennard's team went there. Right. Seven years right. ago. So so by the way, first of all, let's be clear. I'm gonna take I'm gonna call the Wake Forest fans out. You haven't had a sellout in seven years? What kind of fans are you? It's ridiculous. I mean, when was the last time Duke didn't have a sellout? It's probably been 1990. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like been forever. And Wake Forest, you're excited that you got your first sellout in seven years? You're lame. Your fans suck. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. If you can't sell out a game in seven years, they've had decent clubs. They have marquee teams coming to visit. How are you not selling out any games in seven years? Hey, Steve Forbes, your fans are trash. Don't celebrate them for doing what they should do every damn game. And then Steve Forbes said, he goes, I don't like court storming. I, I hope he's okay. I'm sure the next time that happens, we'll do a better job at uh, taking care of the situation. Steve Forbes, who's a guy, look, I went to the press conference with him at Duke and I praised him for being honest and direct 
I talked about, you know, he seemed he seems like a real genuine guy. No emotion from him. No sense of shame. Shame. That's what Steve Forrest should be feeling right now. Embarrassment. He His team was the talk of college basketball yesterday because they screwed up and did something horrible that every announcer in the country, every analyst out there felt they had to call Wake Forrest to task. And Steve Forbes' response was, I hope we do a better job of taking care of that situation next time. That's bullshit, Donald. That's a bullshit response from a coach who's not taking responsibility. He should have come out. First thing he should have said is, look, I didn't get to see what happened, but a player got hurt because of our fans. That is unforgivable, and I'm going to tell our fans you cannot ever do that kind of thing again. Instead, we'll take better. We'll take care to do better at it next time. Next time, buddy, you'd be lucky if there is a next time. And Wake Forest, the, the school, didn't – they put out a statement. I guess it was the uh, the athletic director put out a statement that wasn't much better, right? It, it, it was like, oh, we regret the incident and all this stuff, and we want to be a part of any conversations with the league about future changes to this policy. But look, man, like this is this is not – you can come out and say, we're sorry that this happened. This is this is not something that we're about. We're very sorry. We hope that Kyle Filipowski – name him by name. We hope Kyle Filipowski and the other Duke players – uh, are okay and they you know finish rest of the season you can put this you can still put the corporate spin on an apology little statement like that they didn't even do that they just kind of said we regret the we regret the error is like like it was a typo in a newspaper like you're in journalism like that that's the yeah. tone that they took with it now i think lawyers donald you're a lawyer i'm a journalist you're a lawyer there were lawyers yeah. all over that if i'm wake forest i'm oh yeah I'm, they're lucky kyle filipowski apparently isn't more injured because lawsuit central baby it, this would oh, be yeah. a bad one yeah, it'd be really bad. And I think that's the thing, right, is team, like, as I mentioned, some teams don't care. Some some schools don't care because they know, I mean, look, Wake Forest knows that that's, that was shown on every sports highlight package show from here to Seattle, right? Everyone saw that. They may be talking about them in a bad way, but guess who they're talking about? They're talking about Wake Forest in a win. That's their that's the publicity that they're that they're selling. I think that's the the bad part of all this is is they clearly didn't care. And and Jason, I'm not comparing Steve Forbes to any other coach out there. And I'm not saying that what he did or didn't do caused any of this. But I will say that coaches do have, when you mentioned that Steve Forbes could have come out and said, yo, this is not something we'll ever do again. Coaches do have some power in that regard, right? Yeah. Coach Coach K would it would continuously, he'd get on the mic and or he'd stomp his, stomp his feet if the Cameron Crazy were doing something that he didn't like and Cameron Crazy would stop immediately. I'll tell you another story. Very first game, that David Cutcliffe was in charge for Duke football. The very first game, I went. Very exciting. We we had come off a year where we hadn't won a game at all, and we were about to just destroy. Uh, I think it was East Carolina, but, but correct me if I'm wrong there. We were about yeah. to destroy some team. And all of us were about to storm the field. And in the, this is in the middle of the fourth quarter. We're, like, trying to figure out how we do it. Like, some people are like, yo, I forgot. We haven't done this in a while. <laughs> and David Cutcliffe, in the middle of the game, in the middle of the fourth quarter, jogs over to the area where the students are. And he goes, hey, guys, let's not storm the field tonight. That We'll save that for, for those expletives from Carolina. And everyone just went nuts. And you know who did, what didn't happen? There was nobody on the field. He, he had at least the, the modicum to say, hey, you know, we'll come celebrate with you, but y'all don't come out here. That's, what, that's how we're doing that tonight. When we beat Carolina, go nuts. That's what that's our that's our standard here. And 
Forbes could have easily, you know, and I think next time what Forbes would probably do is kind of motion to the students, like wave them like, no, no, don't come on the field. We'll come on the court. We'll come over there. The, the players will come over there. I think that's the, the key here. And again, Forbes is not responsible for this, but I do think next time he should understand that he does have the power to at least talk with the students beforehand and say, Hey, when we beat UNC, when we beat this number one team in the country or whatever, like we're not, we're not rushing the court every single game, but when we do, we're going to do it responsibly. And here's how we're going to do it. it, it this, these are things that should happen, but yeah, coaches and, and, and administrator administrators do have a lot more power than they say that they do. And this is a case where the, the corporate speak just doesn't ring true. Yeah. All right. So I, I want to talk a little bit about how people reacted to all of this. Yes, because, I got I got notes. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, first of all, there are insane people out there on what formerly was Twitter and, and other social media channels. Uh, I think a lot of them are Carolina fans or people who are Duke haters. There's certainly a, a large, large number of those. Uh, I, I heard from I, I heard from one of the parents of one of the players in the Duke team who said that her son was just had the most horrible things said to him as he was exiting the court and and she's not a shrinking violet and and her son can take it but she was like this is just this was just wrong um that that the kids were subjected to this and I had a I had a conversation with her about what it's like to be a duke fan cuz she's fairly new to it you know since her since her son arrived on campus and we you know Donald you and I have experienced it for a, for a long long time um, people, people hate Duke because of our success. And so there are people out there who are saying things like, oh, Kyle, like Kyle Filipowski started it or Kyle Filipowski right. initiated the contact. It's like so insane. Fran Fraschilla on Twitter said the people who say Kyle Filipowski is at fault, those people need professional help. <clears throat> Fran's actually absolutely right about that. I mean, Seth Davis. And Fran, and Fran is no, Fran is no Duke Homer either. No, exactly. <laughs> Seth, Seth Davis tweeted out a video where he said, pay attention to the second Wake fan to make con to run by Kyle Filipowski. The guy punches Kyle in the back, shoves and punches Kyle in the back. And Seth Davis said, you know, if you're defending Wake Forest fans, have a look at this guy. Um, I saw uh, Seth Greenberg, Pat Forty, all the, all the top guys out there just outraged, you know, writing columns and appearing on television and, and uh, on Twitter and the such to say, how wrong this was and saying shame, shame, shame on Wake Forest. But I wanted to note Gary Parrish. Gary Parrish said on CBS, um, you know, uh, CBS's uh, it's like the video, not, yeah, the video they're, streaming they're, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're they're the CBS sports line show, whatever they call it. Uh, he said, look, you know, there are people out there who say someone's going to get hurt, you know, and, and flip did get hurt, although uh, hopefully not too badly. He's like, this is ridiculous. We people have already been hurt. He said, you don't hear about it because they weren't prominent players like Kyle Filipowski. But he said, there are people hurt every year, fans and players in court storming incidents at the high school level, at the college level. He goes, we don't tolerate this in the NBA. Why are we tolerating it in college? And then he took it one step further. Donald, you were talking about storming the field in football. He's like, you know, these fans that go for the goalposts, it's like, we get stories every few months. Someone mm -hmm. tore down a goalpost, and when it came down, it whacked someone, and they get a very serious injury. Now that's fans. Yeah, yeah, that, that yeah, that's fans. That's not players. 
But he's like, why are we why are we tolerating this kind of thing? And I go back to what I said last night when we did the bites, Donald. There needs to be penalties for schools. And the penalties need to be severe enough that the schools will do something about this problem. There need to be penalties in the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. There need to be penalties where fans are barred from stadiums after doing this kind of thing. Teach people that this is not acceptable. Celebration is fine, but it must be done in a safe way. And you just can't put opposing players and fellow fans in danger the way Wake Forest did yesterday. ESPN pointed out that the ACC is the only Power Five conference that yeah, does I saw not that. have a fine in place for schools who storm the court. I mentioned the SEC fine structure yesterday. 100K for first offense, 250 for a second offense, 500K for a third offense. That's the most stringent policy that's on the, on the books. And the ACC is probably going to implement it. It's not going to be tomorrow, Duke fans, so don't don't wait by the phone, um, as, as we used to say back in the day. But it, it that might that's probably going to change at some point. Let me get back to what you were saying about the other stuff, because when you look at all these different angles, because we saw more angles as as the night went on of the of everything. Man, that overhead angle, that overhead angle shows a lot. Well, the overhead angle is not what I'm worried about. There's more like Flip being hurt isn't all that happened. There was a kid who got right in the face of Jeremy Kane, had to be pulled away by Duke manager. There was a kid in the face. Someone got in the face of Ryan Young and Stanley Borden as well. And even John Shire. John Shire was in the handshake line with Steve Forbes when he saw Flip get hurt. And he immediately rushed over to try and help. There was a, If you see that video, there are fans talking trash in the face of John Shire and the, and the managers and the coaching st- and the uh, players who were right there. I do want to quickly have a pot if there's a positive spin of this i do want to shout out the managers on our team who help protect our guys you mentioned, you mentioned this, yeah ryan young and stanley borden and some of the players like the managers were helping get players off the court that is not something that is part of their job description at all but they and they do a lot for uh to make duke basketball operations go they don't get enough credit and they they really really put themselves in harm's way to protect players yesterday and i thought you know they need to get that shout out but jason i go back to the everyone saying that flip did this and flip started and initiated he tripped them so absurd first of all don't give those people air right that's all they're all they're you're not changing their mind they're they're not here for a healthy debate or argument they're just here for clicks engagement into into you know just crap post but if flip had punched a dude who got in his face we know what would happen, right? Everyone be outraged. We know what yeah. Jason, as you know, I'm a Detroit Pistons fan. We know what happens if a player goes into the stands. Yep. <laughs> They're suspended for Alice a at very the Palace, long baby. time. <laughs> They're suspended for a very long time. Players cannot go in the stands. Players cannot punch fans. So why can fans invade the court and taunt after game? We've seen more of these incidents after the game or even during the game because fans think because they pay money. They can say whatever they want and throw things in the court and get in somebody's face. And if you mentioned even a couple weeks, or it wasn't even a couple weeks ago, it was last week when Creighton beat UConn, a Creighton fan said something to Dan Hurley after the game. And Dan Hurley said something like, yo, I'm going to, you know, if we see you again down the line, we're going to beat you. And people were like, Dan Hurley shouldn't have said that. Yes, he should have. Because fan got in his face and said, because I paid my $42 as a student that I could say whatever I want. Because I paid my tuition, I can run on the field and and hit a player because they can't hit me back. I promise you, if 
Kyle Filipowski had responded by throwing hands, the, the court's term and debate would have ended. It would have been over because Kyle Filipowski would have been suspended for the rest of the year and nobody would have been able to come to the floor anymore. And the problem is, is that we can't wait for that to happen for the for these rules to change. They have exactly. to understand, they have to understand that players, as you mentioned and Gary Parrish has said, I said it yesterday, home home team, the, the team that, that wins the game have had players be hurt in the crush of court storming. I, I I think when we when we rushed the field against Clemson, there was some guy who was like, yo, I had my helmet on. I'm glad I had my helmet on because I hit the ground and I hit my head. And, you know, I, I could have been seriously hurt because of the crush. He's like, I, you know, the winning heals that and they, they kind of throw that in there. But people get hurt all the time when this happens. And it shouldn't take a Kyle Filipowski or a Caitlin Clark for this to change. And I think what the ACC needs to do, you mentioned some of the penalties that need to be in place. They need to start doing that. The, as I mentioned, they're the only conference, Power Five conference that doesn't have one. And when it comes to it, the ACC, that is inexcusable. You know why, Jason? Because they have Duke and UNC in this conference. But as we mentioned yesterday, two teams that every time they lose on the road, it does not matter how bad they are, people will storm the court against them. They have two examples every year where, like, it's not like this is something that, oh, we've never had this situation. It happens every year because Duke and UNC happen to lose a game every year. That happens. It, this needs to change. The ACC needs to put in these rules. And people on the internet just don't give these trolls air. Just don't. They're going to scream into the void. Let them do that because they're wrong. And we know they're wrong. They know they're wrong. They don't care. So save the energy. Because we're going to need it the rest of the stretch. We got some tough games coming up, but this it, this could have changed the trajectory of our season in a very big way, and it should not take a moment like this for change to happen. But now that it has happened, change better come. Hey, you, you said it. I, I I got nothing more to add to that. All right, with that, I will say one. I'll, I will yeah, say one more thing. Let me yep. say one more thing. Again, yesterday, I think both you and I were kind of like we're not a. a fully against court storming. We think some it can be a wonderful, yes. positive thing, a way to celebrate, right? If it's about players going into the stands to celebrate with their fans after the game, cool. If you want to still have it, here's a, here's a suggestion if we're going to make a compromise. We have 97 clocks in every arena. Set it for 60 seconds if you need to. Let the handshake lines go. Give them 60 seconds or 96, whatever that is, for the opposing team to get out of there. Once the horn sounds, go at it, baby. Have fun. But if one person steps one toe on the floor before that, fines, as you mentioned, the million-dollar fine, whatever it is. And that'll hopefully help stop it. I mean, again, some it, it only takes one school to be like, we don't care about the million-dollar fine. We'll pay the million dollars. But at the end of the day, it will stop most of this from occurring and make it where it is a safe celebration. We want everyone, when you go you know, down to 9th Street or, or party on West Campus at the bonfire, we, we're safe there too, right? Why can't we be safe in the arenas? I think that's the key here. Keep everybody safe. Yeah, and look, I I, I get the irony of Duke fans complaining about fans' behavior. <laughs> right. I mean, uh, we are a school, that. yeah, yeah, we are a school that has a little bit of a reputation in this regard. But you know what? Especially we've over learned the from years, it, and we've grown from it. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say, especially over the years, Duke fans have learned that there is a right way to support your team and a wrong way to support your team. We saw, uh, you know, we take our lead from Coach K, the GOAT. And he has, over the years, absolutely guided the Duke fan base and the Cameron crazies toward being more about celebrating Duke 
and less about vulgarity and tearing down your opposition. Be loud, be creative, absolutely cheer your team on in a big, big way, but don't do it in a way that is grotesque and don't do it in a way that is unsafe. And Wake Forest clearly crossed both of those lines yesterday. And I'm pleased that the entire world of college basketball is talking about it, but it's unfortunate that the only reason they're talking about it is because someone on Duke had to get hurt. Um, and just, you know, as we say, thankfully, we hope, we think it's not a bad injury to Kyle Filipowski. With that, Donald, we're done with episode 599. Huh, what, Donald, what, what comes after 599? 600. There you go, baby. That'll be coming at you in your inbox. Episode 600 with the dog, Kenny Denard, coming at you in literally a matter of hours after you read this episode. Donald and I will be along to preview the action coming up for Duke this week. It's a, you know, we're hit, getting down the stretch here. One loss to Wake Forest does not destroy Duke's chances to take the overall number one seed in the ACC. Does not destroy Duke's chances to get a number two seed in the NCAA tournament. These things are still out there for the Blue Devils. We're going to be talking all about it. Until then, he's Donald. I'm Jason. Here's the Duke Band to play us out and take us home safely. Safely.